Amen. If you've been blessed by the worship this morning, say amen. Amen. I'm so thankful at 16 years of age that the Spirit of God breathed new life into me when I received Christ. And I went from being a dead heart and dry bones to fully alive in Christ. And uh, it is an amazing blessing to look back and realize all that, as we already said, he's done for us. But man, what a gift of salvation uh, that he would call us his sons and daughters. Uh, If we're thankful for nothing else, we need to be thankful for that. That we have not deserved it, but he has graciously given that to us. And we praise him for it. Uh, This morning, we are finishing up our uh, series, When Pigs Fly. And uh, I think it was supposed to be a four-week series. And I think we've turned it into like a six-week series, but that's all good. Uh, We are finishing up this morning. And so uh, I'm so excited to dive into this last kind of topic through the series. But I, I pray, honestly that this series has been a blessing to you, an encouragement to you. I pray that it's helped you to maybe reevaluate what you think are miracles and then also to think and say to the Lord or when you pray, Lord, thank you for these miracles, but I'm also thankful that you are the God that determines what and when and where and all those things. And so I pray that not only do we believe that he's a God of miracles as he is, I pray that we would also believe that when God does something different than we wanted, that he is still good and he is still God and we still worship him. And so um, I I do want to take a a moment and ask you to do something a little bit different. And so I just want to, I'm just curious, uh, how many of you have a cell phone with you right now? Like you have your cell phone. Okay. So go ahead and get your cell phones out. Okay. This is going to be fun. You guys are going to enjoy this. Okay. Here's what I want you to do. Some of you are like, oh, pastor, I left my cell phone in the vehicle because it's church and I don't want to be distracted. Praise God for you. Amen. The rest of you sinners, get your phones out, okay? Like, hold it up as an illustration. It's actually in my office. I try not to have my phone with me because I know the one time I wear my phone or have my phone with me in the pulpit, someone will call me even though they know what I'm doing because I have pastor friends who are funny like that and they will seriously take time in their message pause their sermon or pause their service and try to text me or call me just to mess with me. And I'm thinking of Nathan Whipple. So he would be one. And if you know Pastor Nathan Whipple, he would do this. Um, he, yeah, the congregation agrees. So now you got your phones out. So this is what I do. So next week, um, we are starting a brand new series, our Christmas series. It's called All I Want for Christmas. And, and I know... There are so many people that are not in church, that aren't conducted to a church, that when Christmas comes around, they are more aware maybe of Christmas and of the holiday. And as we're going to find out next week, everybody loves Christmas. Well, for the most part, but almost everyone loves Christmas. And so what we want to do is we want to encourage people who maybe aren't in a church or attending a church, maybe don't have a church home, haven't been to church in a while. We would love to have them join us starting next Sunday. So here's what I want you to do. Now, I'm not going to look and make sure you're doing this. I'm not going to like follow up with you later and police this. But if you have your phone out and if you know someone that is not currently attending a church, used to go to church, but doesn't anymore, or maybe looking for a church, anyone, family members, friends, whatever, 
for the teens, if you have your phone out and you're doing something other than this, shame on you, but I don't know you're doing it. But some of you are like, sweet, I'm going to be on my Insta, Facebook, Twittergram thing. I don't know, whatever it is. I'll snap, whatever. I don't know what they're doing. But, but if you have your phone out, here's what I want you to do. And it's okay to do this in church, okay? Your pastor's telling you to do this in church. I want you to message someone literally right now if you know someone. If you know someone that is not in a church, hasn't been in church in a while, that would be blessed and encouraged in our series starting next week, I want you to message them and invite them to join you. So go ahead and do that. Seriously, if you know someone, pull up your, your Facebook, Messenger, text, whatever, and message someone. Some of you are still looking at me like, I don't know, really, like right now? Yes, right now, you have your phone out, go ahead and do this. And so I'm going to give you some time to do that, though. You're not going to miss the message. You're not going to miss anything. Do that right now. So hopefully some of you, I do see some of you looking down at your phones. Awesome. While you're doing that, just because you're doing that, I want to ask a question just to kind of have some fun with this. What did the turkey say to the turkey hunter on Thanksgiving? Don't shoot a good one. Quack, quack. Quack, quack, quack. Somebody needs that repeated? No? Okay, yeah. They're like, I don't know if I get it. Okay. Okay, how about this one? Why did the farmer have to separate or put apart the chicken and the turkey? Why did the farmer have to separate the chicken and the turkey? Because he sensed foul play. These aren't going to get any better, so you might as well laugh because, I mean, you're just, this is what they are, okay? All right. So you guys should be messaging people, too, at this time, doing that, right? Uh, Last one, and thankfully, I'm sure, uh, you are so thankful this is the last one. Uh, What type of keys can't, or has legs, but can't open a door? What type of a key has legs, but can't open a door? A tur. There you go. Yeah, you guys are getting this. All right, very good, very good. All right, enough of that nonsense. We're done with that. But I do hope you had some time to message someone. And I I, I really want to encourage you with this. Um, So often we think that, don't we? Man, I I wish so-and-so could be here. I wish I would have invited so-and-so to come with me. And so I wanted to actually give you time in church. Now, you might get a message back of them saying, Aren't you in church? Like, how are you messaging me if they know you go to church? But just be like, it's cool. My pastor's cool with that. He lets us use our phone in church. I, I do, not all the time, though, but you can just tell them that if they come. That's cool. Great. Whatever. But invite them out. Let them know we would love to have them with us. Because I, I know if you're like me, a week can go by and we just, we get busy and we don't think about it. And so I want you to invite someone to join you next Sunday for the start of our series, All I Want for Christmas. And I hope it will be a blessing to them and to you. And so one last time for our series, let's go to Ephesians chapter 3. So open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3. Now, if you're using one of the Bibles provided in the seats there, there are some Bibles that we provide too. If you're using one of those, you're going to turn to page 824. So if you're using a Bible provided, page 824, And we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 3, starting again in verse 20. So the last time we're going to do this for our series, uh, every week we've tried to go to this text as the kind of the foundation text for our series that we've been going through with this idea of when pigs fly, kind of looking at the miracles that we see recorded in God's word. And so Ephesians chapter 3, kind of our key text, we want to start there again as we kind of lay the groundwork for where we're going to go this morning. Ephesians 3 and verse 20. 
Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Now we've read this text pretty much consistently for the last five to six weeks. And we've read it, and we've read it, and we've read it, and we've broken it apart, and we've talked about it. And I've tried to point out different things in the text as we look at it. But I pray again that it's not familiar with, to us in a negative sense, but it's familiar to us in a good way. Where it's becoming something that we're dwelling on when we're not just reading it. It's something that we're dwelling on as we're going through the course of a day. That when we face an uncertainty or a difficulty or a challenge, we don't instantly go to doubt or fear or worry, but instead we go to that place of trust where we say, no, I have a fortress that is my God that I can run to in times of trouble. Again, not because I fear my persecutors or those that are coming against me. I don't fear them. I trust my God. And so I go to him. Why? Because he is able. Because he's able and he's good. And he's given us a power in us by the working of the Holy Spirit that we have all that we need. We've been equipped. Listen, you've been equipped to do everything that God has called you to do. You don't need anything else. You have all of him in salvation. And now as we journey with Christ, we don't get more of God or more of the Holy Spirit. As we journey with Christ and we grow in him, it's really giving him more of us. It's really giving him more of our mind, more of our heart, more of our interests, more of our lives. And we receive this great joy and blessing because we've surrendered another area to him. And that power starts to overflow in us. And now people around us start sensing and seeing and hearing and, and watching us and going, man, there's something different about you. Like, what's different about you? And it's not really you. And that's the cool thing. You can say, it's not really me. Man, it's Christ in me. It's Jesus Christ is all that is in me that makes a positive impact in the world around me. It's not you that changes someone. It's not you that impacts somebody for eternity. It's Christ in you. What does it say? The power that works in us. He's given that power to us, the spirit of God. And so he is able, as we've studied now for many weeks, God is able. He is capable. He can, he can. It's not a, a matter of, can he, or is he able? No, he can. But if he chooses to do something different, we trust because his will is greater than our understanding. So this morning, as we're wrapping up this series, and we've talked about many different miracles, miracles of healing, uh, miracles of protection, uh, miracles of deliverance, where he delivered us from self and Satan, the two greatest adversaries we face, we've been delivered from them. This morning, we're going to talk about the miracle of provision, the miracles of provision. The truth is that our God is a God that can provide. Our God is a God that can provide. Here's the reality for you. There is no place that he cannot reach you. There is no place you can go that he cannot reach you. And he knows as a son and daughter exactly what you need and exactly when you need it. And he's always there right within reach to provide what you need. That's amazing to me. 
that God would be interested and love us enough that he would literally just be there ready and willing and able to provide all that I need. I can go nowhere. What does the psalmist say? I can go nowhere where God doesn't see me. And if God sees you and he knows you and he loves you as his son and daughter, then he is going to provide. He is going to be present. Man, I don't know about you, but I've seen that in my life a couple times where I stood back and just had to say, God, this was you and your provision. It wasn't me. It wasn't my doing. Nobody else even knew this was a need, but you showed up and you did what only you could do. Again, he is not distant from you. He is not in an ivory tower locked away where you can't get to him and he can't get to you. He is present and active in your life. He is present. When it seems that he is left, does not seem to care, doesn't seem to know the need that you have, doesn't want to uh, get involved in your situation. When you feel that way, don't listen to your emotion. Don't listen to the emotions of your heart that are trying to get you to think that he has drifted away, that he doesn't care, that he's not present. We need to listen to truth and know what the Bible actually says. And I want to go, I'm going to reference it, and then we're going to turn there in just a moment. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. I want to point out this phrase, and then we're going to break it down in just a minute. I'm going to have you turn there. The book of Hebrews says, I will never leave you or forsake you. I will never. It's not, I may not leave you. He says, I will never leave you or forsake you. And so we know that he is with us and will provide for us. We know that. And so I'm going to ask, I know Pastor Greg prayed, let's pray and ask God to open our hearts and minds to his word, would we? Father, thank you for this morning. And I praise you, Father, for your word. I pray, Lord, that, that you would lead and guide in all that is said and done. Thank you for this morning and the worship we've already experienced. Thank you that when we were nothing but dry and, and dead bones, that you breathe life into us through Christ. That you call to us as Lazarus was in the tomb. You call and you call us to new life. And as we respond in faith and receive that gift of salvation, we are quickened, the Bible said. We are made alive. And we are given life. And we live and we move and we breathe in you. And you graciously allow us to, to be involved in what you're doing in the world. You use us, Lord. As, as Jeff sang already, that when we feel the weight of our past sin, the shame and the guilt and the shackles of self, the feelings of defeat, that when we feel those things starting to grab a hold of us, we can look to the truth of your word and look to the person of Jesus Christ, knowing that you died were buried and rose again to conquer sin and death and hell. And that in Christ, we are free from every shackle and every chain and everything that would bind us. We are free, Lord, and we are free to choose. Are we going to continue to live in our own understanding or are we going to live in a way that honors you and glorifies you? And so, Father, we thank you for your acts of provision. We pray, Lord, that you would go before us this morning and open our hearts and minds to what you have for us. We thank you for all of this.
We thank you for being so good, so loving, and so gracious. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So, we know God will provide. We know that he's a God that can provide and that will provide. We know he's a God that will never leave us or forsake us. God's word says it and we claim it as truth and we praise God for that. But the question is, sometimes we have to remind ourselves, what exactly will God provide? Well, we know he will provide. We know he wants to. We know he's able to. So what will God provide? Well, I told you we're going to go to Hebrews. So go there with me. Hebrews chapter 13 If you're not there already, and if you're using a Bible provided, that's page 850. So page 850, if you're using a Bible provided, Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5. It would help if I turned there myself. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5. So what will God provide? Well, the first thing we have to know is he will provide our needs, not always our wants. He will provide our needs, not always our wants our wants. Go to Hebrews chapter 13. Let's look at verse 5 together. The author of Hebrews says this, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Now, I don't know about you. We love the end of that verse. Man, I've seen that everywhere. Bumper stickers, t-shirts, right? Facebook posts, it's everywhere. We love that the Bible says that he will never leave us or forsake us. But if you're like some, maybe you've never even paused and realized the rest of that verse. Maybe you've never went back and read what, in the context of what's being talked about in this passage, what exactly does that mean that he will never leave us or forsake us? Now, we've made it mean a lot of things in Christianity. You can make that mean a lot of things if you just throw it on the end of a statement. It's kind of like the verse from Philippians, which I reference often, where Paul says, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in Christ Jesus. And I've referenced this verse because it's a great example of how twisted we can get scripture sometimes. And people will take that verse from Philippians and they will put it on graduation cards. They'll put it on wedding things and they'll just put it out there. But my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches. You'll never want, they'll say, because my God can supply all your needs according to his riches. And how rich is God? Well, God owns the cattle on a thousand hills, so he's richer than rich. Therefore, you should never go without because he's always with you and he'll never forsake you. And that gets amens and applause and it's in books. And I completely just misused two different scriptures. You see, the the verse in Philippians, as we're going to unpack it a little bit here, actually deals with missions giving. See, the church at Philippi that we talked about last week, Acts chapter 16. Remember we said that that was a church that was founded in a jail? That the Philippian jailer in Acts 16 comes to Christ and receives Christ, him and his whole household, his whole family. And that was really the foundation, plus those that were down by the riverside with Lydia that come to Christ. That was the beginning of the church at Philippi, which received the letter to the Philippians, which we read in our New Testament. That that church partnered with Paul in such a way in his missions giving, or their missions giving to his mission and his work, that they were giving and giving and giving and giving. And because they were giving so much, they had want now. They were giving out of their, not abundance, but their need. They had needs now. They just gave and gave and gave. 
And so they had things that they needed to take care of. And Paul writes back to them in response to their great giving to the mission of Paul. But my God will supply all your needs. There's that word again. According to his riches in Christ Jesus. You see, the reason Paul wrote that was because church, they gave so much. They had needs that weren't being met. Paul says, don't worry, because you gave for this reason, God's going to take care of that need. You see how now it doesn't really fit on the graduation card like we once thought it did? Now, the principle is there. God will provide our needs. Amen. But the question you have to ask is, what are our needs and why do we have needs? What really is a need? And so Hebrews 13, verse 5, I want to read it again there, and I'm going to read it in a different translation. Or not different translation, but different context here. And there's a word here we have to point out. He says, let your conversation, that word just means conduct, be without covetousness. Now that word, we read that in the King James. Many of us maybe know what that word means. That word literally can translate to, or the love of money. And be content. So let your conduct be without covetousness or the love of money. And be content with such things as you have. For he hath said, I will never leave you or forsake you. What is the one thing that we're guaranteed to always have in Christ? A relationship with God the Father who will never leave us or forsake us. And so see, what is our greatest need? Our greatest need is a relationship with God and our sins forgiven. And we have that in Christ. So do we really need, apart from that, really anything else? You see, what the writer is saying here, and we know we do have other needs, and we're going to talk about that. But at the core of our needs, what the writer here is saying is, you can be content that you have God, and he'll never leave you. You don't need anything else. That's really the heart of the passage. Be content with what you have. And what you have is that he is with you. And he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He is always with you, present in Christ. And so how can we be anything other than content? But I'll be honest, I think contentment is very hard for American Christians. I think for everyone in this room, contentment is hard for, if not all of us, almost all of us, many of us. Because we live in a culture, in a society where we don't really know what it is to have true needs not being met. Now, some of us grew up differently. Some of us have different backgrounds where maybe you did go through seasons or times in your life where you genuinely had needs that were not being met. Literal needs. But you know, the Bible says that to have food in your belly and clothes on your back, you can be content. That's what Paul writes to Timothy. Food in your belly and clothes on your back. And you can be content in Christ. But the question is, how much food? Well, it doesn't say. How nice are the clothes? How new are the clothes? What label is on the clothes? Well, it doesn't say. Do you see how so often we can get so caught up in thinking things that are needs are really wants? And so what will God provide? Well, we know that he will provide our needs, not always our wants. Let's be real, though. Does God sometimes provide a want? Sure. If it's in agreement with his will, yeah, great. But we got to be careful that we realize that he's, he's not bound to give us our wants. He's not on the hook to give us our wants. God couples contentment with his promise to always be with us. 
For me, this is an indication that God, as we have said, is not a genie that will grant our every wish, but a good and loving Heavenly Father that provides our needs. Now, this reference here, I will never leave you or forsake you, is actually a reference back to Genesis. And so you can jot it down for time's sake. We're not going to turn there, but you can jot it down for notes. Genesis 28, 15 is where God tells this to Jacob in a dream. And he's doing this to comfort Jacob that God would not abandon him because God has a plan. So here the author of Hebrews is going back to that reference to Jacob where God told Jacob, I will never leave you or forsake you, Jacob. I know it looks bleak. I know there's a lot of unknowns, but I am with you and I have a plan. We must also note that it is God's plan and purpose that keeps him from abandoning us. Let me say that again. It is God's plan and his purposes that keep God from abandoning you and I. It's not you that keeps God with you. You see, here's the reality. If it was up to me to hold on to my salvation, I would lose it every time. God is not faithful to you because of you. God is faithful to you because he's faithful to himself. And God is faithful to his own plan, his own purpose, his own glory, And because God is faithful to his own purpose and his own glory, he is faithful and committed to you and keeping the promise that he will never leave you or forsake you. So God will provide your needs as he has done for so many throughout the Bible, including, as we've referenced, Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, and moving forward, many, many others that he's provided needs that they had. But again, we want to start with the reality that if we have him, We can be content. We don't need to strive for the love of money or the greed that costs to us in our culture today. And I'm telling you, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. Everywhere you look, it's this pull to want the newer thing, the next thing, the best thing. I mean, just phones. Think about, I had you cut out your phones earlier. Think about your phone and how constantly you are hearing about how there's the next thing and the next phone and this camera and you can do this now. This has one camera. Now it's two cameras. Now it's three cameras. Now it's, it's just insane. You could go buy a phone today and two weeks from now it would be outdated. But yet there's this pull. You got to get the next one. You got to get the newest one. You got to get this one. And I'm telling you, it's just in our culture. It's seeped in. And it's not even just outside the church and those greedy heathens that don't know Christ. It's in the church as well, by the way. I mean, I've talked to people who they know Christ, but yet they live for the things of this world. They know Christ. I'm talking about the church, big church, right? Not just North Goodland, church, Christianity. They know Christ. They know he's all they really need, but they strive and they claw and they fight for that next thing. That's stuff. And again, there's nothing wrong with stuff. If God blesses you with stuff, praise God with the stuff. But do you control the stuff or does the stuff control you? And if you lost it all tomorrow, would you be content? If you got in your bank account and literally your checking account went from what you have to what you only needed, would you be content? Oh, praise God. Now, if you're like me, you'd be like, that's, that's not... That's not right. Something, something's gone wrong here. But we have to stop and pause and say, man, if the writer of Hebrews literally means what he's saying, don't let your conduct, what is conduct? Our life, 
how we live our lives. Don't let your life be consumed with the love of money, but be content with, with what you have. And if what you have is that he'll never leave you or forsake you, then we have all we truly need. But our God is good. He doesn't leave us there. He does provide for our actual needs. And we see this throughout scripture. So what will God provide? He will provide our needs, not always our wants. Also, he will provide what is best to bless us and glorify him. He's going to bless us, but ultimately he's going to glorify himself. And so he will provide what is best to glorify him and bless us. This means that even when we think that our need is truly a need, he may decide in his wisdom there is a better solution. That's difficult. Our need in our minds may actually be a need, but God in his sovereign wisdom may decide there's a better solution. Now, this is where we usually hear a very common phrase. And since things didn't go our way and they didn't work out the way we wanted and we thought a need that we wanted to have fulfilled, God didn't do. And we share that with a Christian friend and our Christian friend with a great heart and a desire to encourage says something like this. God doesn't close a door without opening a window. And so you smile at them and you decide as you're weighing in your mind, do I smile and say thank you or do I hit you for Jesus? Like, I don't really know which way I should go right now. I mean, I kind of want to punch you, but I also realize that's probably not a good idea. Here's the reality. Sometimes God does that. He does, quote, shut a door and open a window. But you know what also we see in Scripture and in your own life, and it's okay to admit this, sometimes he shuts the door and shuts the window, and you're just sitting in the room. And you're going, what, what, where, when, why? And you know, sometimes God puts us in those situations so that we'll actually be patient and wait on him. And instead of looking for a cracked open window or a door that's going to be reopened, we just pause and go, God, I just want to trust you even though I don't understand. And that's really the heart of this whole series is trusting him when he comes through and does the miracle and he blows us away and we're in awe or he does something different. And we're left in the room with no open door, no cracked window, No trite Christian saying is going to make us feel better. We're just sitting there waiting on him. And it's in those moments, if I'm being honest, in my Christian life where I feel as though I've grown the most in Christ. Where I had to just wait and be quiet before him. And just be still. And go, God, I I don't get it. I thought that was a need. I thought that was something that we needed to have happen. I thought it was what we wanted and what you wanted. But I'm just going to sit and be patient and wait. It's not inactivity. We don't literally sit and wait. We do what he's called us to do while we're waiting. But we trust him even though it didn't work out the way we thought. Sometimes, again, God wants us to be patient and wait. Trusting him even when all the options seemed shut. He is in control. So what will God provide? God will provide our needs, not always our wants. But even when he provides our needs, he will provide what is best to glorify him and bless us. And so he's going to provide our needs. But again, we have to be patient and realize maybe it won't work the way we thought it would. I want to go through three principles quickly of God's miraculous provision. Now that we understand the foundation, we understand that contentment is what we're striving for, that he is with us, that he is there for us. He'll never leave us or forsake us, that he's really all we need. But then when he does provide our needs, he will provide our needs, not always our wants. And he will do always in our lives what will best glorify him and bless us. 
Now, this isn't to say that we can't rush into something and make choices and those kind of things. But if we're waiting on him and we're patient on him and we're listening, following the leading of God's word, praying and seeking him and wisdom from other believers, I promise you, God will lead you and show you that he will provide your needs, not always your wants, and what will glorify him and bless you. And I also realize sometimes when I'm patient and wait before I act, God shows me that wasn't really a need. That when I'm patient and wait before I act or do or say, God shows me that wasn't really a need. Because I think sometimes we forget that. Have you ever started a prayer time with the Lord and you were praying for what you thought you needed and you're just spending time with him and then you get into his word and you read some of his word and you're reminded of all the goodness of God, all the blessings of God, all the things that he's already done for you and you go back and you go, I guess I don't really need that, Lord. Let's just forget that part. You know, you've been pretty good to me, Lord. I'm pretty blessed right now. I I think I'm okay. And this is, again, where people will push you to say, oh, no, 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 ask God for more. Ask God for more. Our God's a big God, and he can do anything. Ask God for more. And this is the type of preaching that we hear on TV or we see online or we hear from people that have seven private jets and want you to live this way. It's just just nonsense. Because Hebrew says, be content. It doesn't mean God won't provide our wants at times, but those are just blessings we praise him for. We don't strive For him to be a genie, he always does what we want. I want to give you three principles of God's miraculous provision. Kind of three truths that we see in scripture that I think will help us to kind of unpack this a little more. So the first thing we have to note is when God guides, he always provides. That when or where God guides you, as we're patient and waiting on him, he will always provide. Now I want to go all the way back to an example of this. In Genesis. So go to the very first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 12. So Genesis chapter 12. And we're just going to read the first couple of verses here of Genesis 12. Genesis chapter 12. Again, first book of the Bible there. Verse 1 of Genesis 12. The Bible says this. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation and I will bless thee and make thy name great and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curse thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him, and Abram was 70 and five years old when he departed out of Haran. Now, this is an amazing text. Many of you have studied this beginning of this journey of Abraham. This man, Abram, is going to be called Abraham soon. And it's this amazing story of what we call the first patriarch of Genesis or the first representative of God's people. Uh, He is becoming what we call the father of the Jews. And so it's an amazing chapter, an amazing story. If you've never read the book of Genesis or if you've never read the story of Abraham, uh, it's just amazing. It's, It's like a Hollywood movie, all the things that he goes through. And so mark it down, Genesis 12, you can start there. Um, and just read through 
all those chapters ahead. I, I think his story goes to somewhere around chapter 24, 25, somewhere in there. And you can read through with the situation with his wife and what happens there, his children. It's just, it's just crazy what, what this guy goes through. But as you read these first four verses, we see what's called the, the call of Abram. The call of Abraham. This is the start of what we call the covenant with Abraham. And God calls Abram, who again will become Abraham, and he's going to be the father of the Jews. God makes a covenant with Abraham that he will bring forth a son. He talks about this line of blessing that will come, that will bless all families. That word families is the word for people groups, or we might use the word nations there. And so roughly kind of summarizing this, God calls Abram. And says, I want you to do something. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make a covenant with you. And from you, there will be one that will bless all nations, all peoples of the world. And then we go all the way over to what we're going to celebrate next month, the birth of Christ. And we read in Matthew's account that there was this one named Jesus who was born of a virgin. And when he was born, the message was that it is good tidings. It is good news for all peoples. You see, in the Gospels, we read the fulfillment of what was guaranteed and promised to Abram in Genesis chapter 12. And that is that Jesus came and through Jesus offered to all peoples of all the world that anyone who comes to Christ can be saved. It is a blessing that God provided and a promise and a lineage that he kept all the way from Abram to Jesus. It's an amazing story. But I want to focus in on the call of Abram and the guiding or the leading that God put in Abram's life. If you look at it again, he asks Abram to do something in verse 1. He says, get thee out of thy country, from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show you. Again, I want to note the call of Abraham is a call to become what we would call a sojourner. Many have used the word pilgrim or, or something along those lines. It's a sojourner. A sojourner is someone that resides in a land temporarily or even permanently that is not primarily their own. So they reside in a land that is not primarily their own. They could be there for a short time or permanently, but it's not really their land. They're just residing there for a time or permanently. And by the way, that's us today in the world, is it not? Are we not sojourners in Christ? This is not our final dwelling place. We are just sojourning. We're passing through. Yes, we might reside here temporarily. We might reside here for a lot of years, but this is not our land. This is not where we're going to end up. We're going to end up in our true home, which is his heaven in his kingdom. And so here, Abram is called to be this sojourner. But if you look at what God called Abraham to leave, he said, leave your, fi- your family, your father, and your country. Now, in this culture, an individual's rights were protected and provided by their country, their kindred, and their father. So his rights, if you want to use the term civil rights, his rights were protected and provided by your country, your tribe, and then your family. So it's either going to be your country, your tribe, or your family, your father's house, that's going to provide for your civil rights, going to protect you and guard you and keep you. But God is calling Abram to leave all of that. He says, I want you to leave all of that and go to a land that I will show you. Does he even know what the land is yet? He says, once you get up and go, then I'll show you where to go. And Abram does exactly what God says. He gets up and he goes. He leaves country, he leaves family, and he leaves his father's house. 
So the question we have to ask is, if God is guiding Abram to give up everything that would protect his rights and his freedoms and provide for him and care for him, if God is asking Abram to give all of that away, then who now will take care of Abram? And the answer is simple. God is going to take care of Abram. God is going to be his family, his tribe, his provider, the one that watches over him and guards him and protects him. He's calling him. He's guiding him out, but he's not doing it and leaving him alone. He is calling him out and he is going to provide and protect Abram's rights and needs. He will not leave him helpless. And now the other reason this story is amazing is because when Abram gets out to where he's supposed to be going, he doesn't do everything right, believe it or not. He doesn't make all the right choices. He doesn't do everything he's supposed to do. He, in fact, lies blatantly completely forgets that God is providing and protecting for him. He gets fearful in Egypt and he decides, okay, I need to now provide and protect myself. Which is really just a trust issue because he doesn't really trust God to do what God said he would do. And so when we try to pull everything back into our control, we're doing exactly what Abram did. We're forgetting that God says, no, no, no. If I guided you there, if I led you there, I'm going to provide for you there. I'm going to take care of you. Because I will never leave you or forsake you. I am with you and I will provide for you. Another principle of God's miraculous provision is that God miraculously multiplies what is given. God miraculously multiplies what is given. Now, I know we're going through a lot of scripture. Go all the way back to the New Testament. We're going to go to another passage here. We're going to go to 2 Corinthians so 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and if you're using a Bible provided, that's page 800, or, yeah, 816. So 2 Corinthians chapter 9, you can look at a few more verses in this passage here. So thank, for, you, thank you for having God's word with you, uh, or using one of the Bibles provided. Maybe you're on your device and you're using it that way. Um, I just really wanted to spend some time in scripture this morning, looking at these principles, seeing these things directly from his word. So another principle of God's miraculous provision is God miraculously multiplies what is given. So again, 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 10. 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 10. Now he that ministers seed to the sower, both minister bread for your food, and multiply your seed sown, and increase the fruits of your righteousness. And now in context... This is kind of a chapter about giving. And, and what's going on here is the saints are collecting money in the church there to go towards a need in Jerusalem because there was a famine in the land. And so they're providing for those things. But in this chapter, we also see principles of giving. Giving in the church as well as giving individually. And the principle here in this illustration of what Paul is referring to is that God takes what is given, God takes what is provided, and he can multiply that miraculously. Now, many of us have experienced this in our own lives. We've taken and, or were given something we were blessed with, and it seemed like little. It seemed like it wasn't going to meet what was needed. But God miraculously took what was given, blesses it, and multiplies it. We see this even in the Gospels with the feeding of the 5,000, the feeding of the 4,000, that God can take what is given, even a small thing, and miraculously multiply that to meet the need that is provided or that is there. 
It's amazing how he does this. If you've ever seen this in your own life, you know this to be true, as well as in Scripture, that sometimes God will provide, and you see what is provided, and you think, okay, but is this really going to meet the need? And then God miraculously multiplies that provision, and now you are left in awe. And I'm telling you, it's not just financial. It's not just financial. It can be in so many ways that God does this. And God has done it in my life and ministry, and I'm sure he's done it in yours as well. And we can testify to that. But I want to encourage you that when this happens, we have to pause and thank God for his miraculous provision in multiplying what was given. Again, this can happen when we're faithful and strive to be faithful, to do what God has called us to do. And God provides that need of encouragement or support. Have you ever seen what can happen when you give a word of encouragement to somebody and it's a simple thing, but God miraculously multiplies that and now that person's need of feeling kind of dejected or discouraged or let down. They're just kind of down. They're feeling defeated. And you share a word of encouragement and God multiplies that. And now it just radiates and resonates to them for days and weeks. And it just lifts them up. That is God taking what was uh, needed, a word of encouragement, providing that through someone and then multiplying that to that person. So now they're feeling blessed and full and satisfied. And it's amazing how God, do, God can do this through finances, through Food provision, sometimes it happens that way. Many different ways that God can provide. And it's awesome to step back and thank him that he can multiply these things and that we can be thankful to God for that. So now we've seen two principles. We've seen that God, where God, God guides, God provides. That where he leads you, he's going to provide for you. We've seen that God can take what is given and miraculously multiply that to meet a need greater than we imagine. But we have to pause and say, okay, but where do I fit into this? And I alluded to it a moment ago. Where do I fit into this? Does God have a way that I can be involved in this miraculous provision? Or is it only supernatural through his hand that we see this taking place? And the third principle is simply this. You and I might be a part of God's miraculous provision. You're in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Look at verse 11. Being enriched in everything to all bountifulness, which causes through us thanksgiving to God. What he's saying here is saying, you've been enriched, you've been given, you've been provided for. And out of that bountifulness of provision, you can now take that, that God has given to you and multiply to you. And now you can take that and go meet someone else's need. And now it's you that God is using. Remember that power that works in us that God is able to do? That power that works in you will lead you to go and provide for someone else and give to someone else. And so now you're taking a hand in God's miraculous provision. Your submission, my submission to God's leading may be an answer to someone's prayer of need. When you say, okay, God, I'll submit. I'll do what you're leading me to do. I'll give. I'll surrender. I know I could hoard this and keep this, but you know what? You're laying it on my heart. I need to give this to so-and-so. I need to do this for so-and-so. I need to provide a meal or I need to share a word of encouragement. It's not just financial, but whatever it is, God, I'm going to do that. And when you submit to his will, God is taking your submission and then using that to meet the prayer and the need of someone else that you don't even know. You don't even know what's going on in their life, but God leads us. And when we submit, we can become an answer to someone's prayer of need. You stepping out and offering your help 
financial aid, time, an act of service, may be exactly what the person that has been asking God to provide needs. Now, again, you might think, well, I can only give a small amount. I can only do a little. But again, when we give a little and then we implement that second principle that God's already made known to us and he multiplies it and its effect, it can drastically impact someone's life. And you get to be a part of that. So I want to ask a question this morning, just as we're kind of wrapping this down. Would you say, and you don't need to answer out loud, but would you say that you are hungry to be a giver? That you desire to be a giver? That you desire to be that person that can provide for someone else? To meet a need? Would you say that you are pleading with God to be a blessing in someone's life, in your prayer life? To give away even finances, even if it would mean that you would have needs now that need to be met by someone else. One more passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I want to read just a couple of verses here and then we're going to close. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. So one chapter back from where we were reading, verses 1 through 4. Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, how that in the great trial and of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their uh, liberty. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty, that we would receive the gift and take upon as the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. Another translation translates verse 4, that they earnestly pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. You see what Paul is saying here. He's talking about these churches in Macedonia, these churches that are gathered together that are desiring. And in fact, the Bible says, pleading with Paul, please let us give a gift. Let us be a part of this. Let us give that we might bless those in need and our brothers and sisters in Christ. Let us give. And what happens as they're giving? The Bible says they gave and it caused them to be impoverished. Now, I'm not saying God wants us to be poor and not be able to meet our responsibilities. What I'm saying, though, is their heart was... I want to give to the point, even if it means I'm going to go without something. This was the cry of the church to Paul. And Paul thought so much of this. He's sharing this with the church at Corinth and saying, listen to what these churches are doing and how they're supporting what is the, the need of the church. They were pleading with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the saints. They had a passion to give. And now I know what you're thinking. Well, pastor, when the church asks, I give. If there's something I can do, I'll give to the church. I give of my time, my talents to the church. That's great. But you realize that you give here, yes, but you can do this individually. Like you don't need the church to tell you when and where to give necessarily. If God leads on your heart to give to a neighbor or a coworker or a family member or a friend or whatever, that is between you and God to work that out. 
Now, yes, when we as a church gather together, do you know why we take an offering? We take an offering because of examples like this we see in Scripture where we can collect from the body and then take those finances and disperse them to the needs here locally to our church and responsibilities here, but then to the world around us through missions, and we get to take a part in that. And do you know that most churches nowadays, most pastors nowadays, it's not the church pleading with the pastor to give. It's usually the other way around where the pastor's pleading with the church, would you just give? And I say that tongue-in-cheek, and it's kind of humorous, but it's also true. I can't tell you how many times I've seen things come across my desk for seminars and conferences for pastors and church leaders to go and find out ways to get Christians to give. Like, use this strategy and use this plan and here, use this six-week course. And, and I just scratch my head, I think, but isn't that just a byproduct of being a follower of Christ? Like, should I have to coax Christians to give? Like, it seems like it's kind of clearly in Scripture. That's just what we do. But we really shouldn't be surprised because in church today, especially in our country, I think we've forgotten to really submit to the power of God and realize there's so many things that the church coaxes Christians to do that we really shouldn't even have to do except for just a little reminder and encouragement here or there. Sharing our faith should not be something that we need to do a six-week course on. How do we share our faith? Now, how do we do it? Strategies, if you're nervous of doing it, that's one thing. But to actually be passionate about doing it or wanting to do it. Prayer. I mean, should a church really have to talk people into praying? Or going to a prayer meeting? No, listen, it's really good for you if you go to this prayer meeting. You want to go. It's going to be a lot of fun. You should come. It's going to really benefit you if you come and pray with us. That sounds so silly to me. I'm not talking about encouragement. We all need encouragement. We all need a word of encouragement to say, man, listen, I know it's tough. It's been a long week, but, but listen, let's come together. Let's do this. I, I know that that's different. But here, Paul, man, this church, these churches said, we plead with you. Let us be a part of this giving. And so as we unpack this even more, we get to be a part of the giving and the provision of God miraculously to the saints and to those in need. So I want to close with a couple thoughts and then a couple questions of application. The first thing we have to know is that our God is so gracious to provide for our needs. That when he guides, he provides. And that is a gracious act that he does not have to do, but he chooses to. That he multiplies what is given. And we get to be a part of his provision for others. And two questions I want to ask just for you to meditate on as we apply this this morning. How have you seen God? guide you into a place where then he provided for you your every need. And you didn't know at the time what was going to happen, but you stepped up by faith and God provided. And how can God use you and I as a miracle of provision for someone else this week, this season? And I know this is on our hearts and minds because it's Christmas and we are a little more generous at Christmas, but let's not make this a holiday thing. Let's make this a lifestyle thing. We're just, we just want to always be willing to say, God, you lead and I'll go. And I'll I'll do whatever you ask for your glory. I'm going to ask that we bow our heads in a word of prayer as we spend some time in invitation. As you bow your heads right there where you are and the praise band's going to come and lead us in a song of invitation. And as you begin to pray right there and think through those questions about just how has God provided for you after he guided you into a decision and then he showed you his goodness and his grace. And you're just in awe. You were just in 
in wonder of his goodness. And you praise him this morning for that. Maybe you're in a position where he's guiding you somewhere and you're not quite seeing how he's going to provide yet. You're not seeing what it's going to look like. And maybe there's some concern there. Maybe you begin to pray and say, God, give me the ability to grow in my trusting of you and to know that you are good. And then the other question we would ask is, is God laying someone on your heart that you can be a part of that miraculous provision for them? Maybe it's through the church. Maybe it's something that we offer here through the church or a ministry or whatever. That's fine. That's good. And there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, we support so much through the giving of the ministry here. But maybe there's an individual in your life or someone that you are personally or individually being impressed upon the Lord with, that you can go and be a blessing to them. And it doesn't have to be financial. It can be an act of service or just time spent with them, a word of encouragement, praying with them. Whatever it is, is God impressing on you to be a part of this provision of needs? Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the attentiveness of your people, Lord, as... uh, Lord, I know we're going a little over our time. I'm just so thankful for them and their willingness to come and to just worship you, to focus on you. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be so thankful that you provide for our needs. Lord, I know I've gone through seasons of need and out of nowhere, seemingly out of nowhere, things just show up. Groceries and provision in ways that I can't even imagine. Lord, you are so good, and you show yourself good to us constantly. So I pray that we'd be thankful for that. I pray that we would realize that we get to be a part of this. We get to take a hand in helping someone else and having a need met. So help us to be sensitive to your leading. We thank you for all of this. Lead God and direct now, Lord, and help us to respond to you. And if there's anybody here that doesn't know you as their Lord and personal Savior, I pray that they would receive you having their greatest need met, which is a relationship with Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of sins. Father, thank you for all of this, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet as we have a time of invitation? Again, just respond to whatever God is doing. There in your seats, maybe you want to come to the altar. Whatever it is, if you know someone that God is impressing on your heart, maybe come and pray and say, Lord, give me the opportunity to make a difference as we respond.